Hello, everyone. Welcome to OT with DA. This is Elise Harbold. I'm David Asherick, and we are in our 75-day journey through a large portion of the Old Testament. Our textbook is Patriarchs and Prophets, published in 1890, written by Ellen White. And uh, we missed, kind of missed part of yesterday. We did do a supplemental session, which was mm -hmm. awesome. Thank you, Elise. The Theology of Trauma but we were supposed to do this chapter yesterday, but I was feeling a little tired. I think you were a little tired too. I was. Okay, so we'll just say, hey, it was an opportunity to take a day off. So I guess then technically, if you're keeping track, today is day 50 and we're in chapter 48. So welcome everybody. Great to see Instagram Live signing on. Welcome to Facebook. Hope you all had a great day today. Elise, how was your day? My day was good. It snowed last night, yep. so there was lots of snow. Yep. Uh, which presented a challenge because my boots leaked, <laughs> but I found a way to work around it. Okay, and why don't you tell us how it is that you worked around your leaky boots? So I wanted to go for a run slash walk. Because there's quite a bit of snow, like five or six inches of snow. Yeah, so I got a few plastic bags and okay. tied the two plastic bags around each boot. Okay. And then I went, and then I came back, and my boots were still dry. So this really was then endorcasizing. Yes, did, did I, it, I, I didn't think of it at the time, but now that you mentioned in it. In hindsight, you're like, hey, I'm endorcasizing. I was endorcasizing. That's right. Did anybody see you with these big plastic bags on your feet? Um, didn't it make a lot of noise? <laughs> it was a little crunchy, but I think I only saw the llamas. <laughs> Alpacas. Uh Yes, forgive, forgive me. I won't tell them. Okay. Um, so Elise and I have hardly seen one another today because we had a lunch appointment and I ate some borscht. Yeah, I'm trying not to be jealous. No, I brought some back for you. Okay. Yeah, there's some borscht in the refrigerator. So thank you to uh, Doreen who made this amazing borscht. It was great. And uh, Andrea, thank you for having us over. We had a, I had a wonderful afternoon. You had a good day. I actually took a bath today, which is like one of my favorite things to do in the whole world. How many baths do you take a year? Well, I just moved to an apartment that has a bathtub, so it's in, the number is increasing. So so if you just had to guess, do you take 20 baths a year? Do you take 12 baths Maybe a year? Maybe 20. 20? Yeah. Guess how many baths I take a year. I don't know. Just take a guess. 365. Well, at least 300. Wow. I mean, I just love taking baths. In fact, a lot of days... I take two baths. I take a bath in the morning and I take a bath in the evening. Do you use bubble bath? I never use bubble bath because it dries out my skin. Oh. But what I really like is that I read in the bathtub. Oh. I grew up thinking that reading in the bathtub was the most normal thing in the world because my mom would read in the bathtub. And so I just grew up and when, when I wanted to read a book or whatever, I just would, and even now I would say I do probably between 30 and 50% of the total reading that I do in the bathtub. How do, you, how do you not get the book wet? Oh, it's easy. You just don't get your hands wet. You keep the hands dry, and then you keep the book dry. Like the I bring my pen in there. You're there, and then yeah. you just get out, and you never, yep. ever let the book go. The only thing that can sometimes happen is, is if, you, if you get the bath too hot, then your hands are really sweaty, and then the book gets wet, but that's from your hands. Sweaty yeah. hands. Yeah. So keep the bath yep. not too hot. So I had a good day. To me, if I have a day where I get to eat good food, hang out with good people, take a bath, and spend time in scripture, that's a great day Should for me. we make an OT with DA bathtub reading challenge? <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, we could like, I mean, it doesn't have to be immodest. We could like wear our, uh, you know, you could. Well, I mean, people don't have to share pictures. <laughs> Why not? You could wear your swim trunks, right? Just like in a hot tub. There you go. Um, welcome, everybody. We hope you've had a great day today. Just a couple days ago, it was like spring here. It was beautiful. It was amazing. And here we are, uh, six inches of snow. And oh, by the way, just a quick reminder, tomorrow, our OT with DA session will be at two o'clock mountain time. Apologies. I know that's less than ideal for some people, but we had to sort of move the schedule around a little bit so that we could get a lease for one more. And I should tell you, that Elise was like, oh, should I do another one? Maybe they're getting tired of me. And I was like, nobody's getting tired of you. We think you're amazing. And so- If they were, they wouldn't say. These, these are <laughs> Christian people, David. I'm letting you know, I'm okay. the one that runs this show okay. and I'm not tired of you. And so we're gonna move uh, our schedule so that we can have Elise tomorrow at 2 p.m. Mountain Time. Everybody in favor, say aye. Aye. Any opposed? Amen. The motion carries. Um, Elise, today's chapter is amazing. The Division of Canaan, chapter 48. Yes. Big chapter. Yes. Varied chapter. One of the things you said on the drive over here was there wasn't really a unifying theme. There were lots of good themes. But I'm, I've am i got a suggestion. You got it. I think I actually have a great unifying theme. Okay, I believe you. And you but you'll see. It'll come out later. Okay. That'll be at the I, end. That'll I be at the end. I love the chapter. I just thought there were so many good points. Oh. Oh, yeah. I agree. Totally agree. Yep. So chapter 48, I'm feeling good. Elise is feeling good. We were a little tired yesterday. Today we're fired up. I'm filled with yummy Russian borscht soup. Yes. Was, I'm just happy. I'm a happy boy. Um, Elise, why don't you open with prayer? Okay. Welcome everybody on Instagram Live. So great to see you all. Hope you enjoyed your day off. Mm -hmm. Don't get used to it. It's not going to happen very often. And uh, you too, we're so glad you're here. And Elise, I want to thank you. Already we're getting some great feedback and comments on your supplemental session, The Theology of Trauma, colon, God's Radical Response to the Mistreatment of His Children. People are loving it. And so thank you for doing it. Well, I, I hope it's a blessing. It is a blessing. It was a, it was a message that helped me a lot. So I hope that helps other people. Amen. Yeah. You willing to pray? I'm willing. Let's do it. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the OT with DA community. Amen. Um, from near and far. Thank you so much for scripture, for the Old Testament, yep. and we pray that your Holy Spirit will be here with us as we go through this chapter, that you would give us insights and mm -hmm. clarity and help it to be encouraging for everyone who listens. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay, so this is quite a long chapter, and not just long in terms of pages, but it's quite a big chapter in terms of it covers a lot of ground, right? Like if if you look at the chapters in Scripture that it's based on, it's based on a few verses at the end of chapter 10 of Joshua, then chapter 11, and then basically 14 to 22. I actually read this today, mm. all of it, in the bathtub. Mm -hmm. And it, it's not the most exciting reading, the, this sort of section. Um, not, I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm just saying that it's you know the distribution and the division of the land and different cities and sort of landmarks and who got what and but there are some great gems yep. in here and if i could say if if you if you took the time to read the i suppose more than 10 chapters ish uh ellen white does a phenomenal job like an a plus job of synthesizing this material mm -hmm. and then bringing out some really great points and i'm looking forward to it now here's basically and those of you that are doing ot with da you know that we have 
chapters that are sometimes just, they're about one thing, and those are really easy to keep track of in terms of the outline. But then sometimes we have chapters like this one, The Division of Canaan, where it covers a lot of different sort of episodes. And so what I always do is I just uh, list and outline what are the things that this chapter talks about. So here's the eight things, mm -hmm. okay? This is what I came up with. This was my list. So number one is the ongoing conquest of Canaan. This is in order. Mm -hmm. uh, number two is the division of land and uh, then the land resting from war mm -hmm. or from conflict. Number three, um, Caleb's inheritance, specifically of Hebron, right? She spends time on that. Uh, number four, Ephraim's faithless request for additional allotments, right? Hey, we're a big tribe. We need kind of, you know, two allotments. And so that was, she spends time on that. Number five, um, the tabernacle and the ark dwelling at Shiloh. Uh, number six, the cities of refuge. Number seven, the two and a half tribes on the east of the River Jordan. Um, they, this is Reuben, Gad, and half of Manasseh. Mm -hmm. They make this like monument altar thing. And then that creates drama. And then the eighth and final thing is this misunderstanding, followed by clarification, followed by unity. So that's sort of the eight things that this chapter covers. And there's a lot of great stuff here. And if we spent, we could easily spend two hours on this chapter. Mm -hmm. it, it, the time could just go flying by. So what we'll kind of do, Elise, with your permission, is we'll just sort of hustle through. And let's just say the things that we thought were, you know, important quickly. And then the things that we think are super important, we'll dwell on. Yes. And we've not talked about this before. So nope. I'll be interested to see what you loved. Okay. Um... Okay, so on, uh, we're on page 622 of Types and Symbols, 510 of the original pagination, Division of Canaan, chapter 48. Anything on the first page, Elise, that you were like, yeah, really like that? Yeah, so the thing that jumped out to me on the first page is um, the children of Israel are outnumbered. There's this league formed against them. Yeah. You know, so it's much more intimidating if a group of uh, a group of tribes are against you right. than one. Mm -hmm. Um and it said that, it says here in the last three lines, again, a message of encouragement was given to Joshua. Do not be afraid of them for tomorrow at this time, I will deliver all of them before Israel. So uh, the power of encouragement. Mm. And I think, I like you know, it. over and over again, you see God working to encourage the children of Israel, to encourage them. And I think that God does that in our lives too. Like, Amen. just like they were easily discouraged and overwhelmed, we're easily discouraged and overwhelmed. And God is constantly working to encourage us. Mm. And God also wants us to be people of encouragement. Oh, to uh, encourage and others. We really I underestimate like how much an encouraging word could help someone. Yeah. But encouragement is power. Yeah, that's great. If you think about the word, right? Encourage. Mm -hmm. To be in courage, like to be in bravery. Mm -hmm. I like that. It's really good. Have courage. And, you know, Joshua is hearing repeatedly this do not be afraid thing, mm -hmm. which alerts us to the fact that even though Joshua is a warrior and even though he's a military strategist and even though he's a man of great faith, the odds must have been and the task must have been such that under normal circumstances, even a military figure like Joshua could be tempted to be afraid. And then so God has to say to him repeatedly, don't be afraid. Yeah. He's not a coward. It's just that God's saying to him, we've got this. Yeah. We've got this. We've got this. And the fact that God repeats this a lot to Joshua in the book of Joshua alerts us to the fact that he needed to hear it. Yep. And he's, if I'm, He's just a human being. He's a human being. If Joshua, the warrior, successor of Moses, 
arguably the greatest person in human history up to Jesus to ever live, mm -hmm. if he needs to hear words of encouragement, how much more does Elise, how much more does David, how much more do we all? Can I interrupt you real quick? Go. My dad told me what Harbolt means. Oh, Harbolt. You asked that. Because I, I said, what is your you last name? You asked that the other day. Harbolt means, I, I've got a guess. Okay. I did not there's look a, this up. There's a reason why I'm saying it right now. Okay, I'm going to say that Harbolt means keeper of sheep. No. Okay, with my guess. Apparently, it means brave warrior. No! That's what he said. So, apparently, I need to lift weights or something. No, you don't have to, you don't have to be strong and fit to be brave. Your name means brave warrior? Uh, that's what my dad said. And well, he's smart. Well, your dad is very smart. When, when you get married, you need to explain to your uh, spouse-to-be, your husband-to-be, what your last name means. Because maybe he has a really bad name, like Asherick, right? <laughs> like a name that, I mean, I like my name, but, you know, a lot of people wouldn't love this name. And you could say, hey, wh why not Harbold? Yeah. My name literally means Mighty Warrior. And I think there's a lot of dudes that would be like, you know what, I'm going to go with Mighty Warrior is my last name. <laughs> anyway, sorry to interrupt. No, 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 you're fine. Um, okay, so then on the next page, we get into this thing again and again where it says the Lord delivered them, mm -hmm. right? Like, don't be afraid. We've got this. God delivers them. The Lord delivered them into the hand of Israel. And the story here is that this conquest takes years, but it's always kind of the same story. And that is that against all, seemingly against all military odds by, you know, a human expectation, God comes through, Israel the underdog overcomes, and uh, that these, even this league here, this confederacy is defeated by the armies of Israel, right? Right. Anything else on, you got anything on page two? And then we should say that one of the major features of this chapter is that even though Canaan is being increasingly, mm -hmm. um, the word that she uses is subdued, and that word actually comes up in the uh, biblical text as well, um, it's not completely, not everybody's dispossessed. Mm -hmm. The Sidonians are still there and the Philistines are still there but it's being largely overtaken by Israel in fulfillment of the Abrahamic covenant and promise. Mm -hmm. You got me? Got you. So anything else? So then she basically says, so even though the conquest is, you know, progressing, stop. And then now it's time for the division of the land. And then each tribe mm -hmm. is charged with further dispossessing and subduing dispossessing the people and subduing the land in their allotment, which is kind of cool. Yeah, that must have helped enhance their motivation because now they're, you know, they're working on their own yeah. little piece. One of the things that sometimes people say in business and in like sort of, you know, uh, efficiency management and people management is what gets measured gets done, mm. right? What gets measured gets done. And if something's not measured, it's, you know, there's, there's less incentive to do it. Sure. And so here, hey, this is your allotment. There's still a few people dwelling there. Um, go finish off the task. Mm -hmm. And it's going to be very measurable whether or not the individual tribes are doing that. Right? And in the case of like Ephraim, they come and they're like, oh, this is going to be kind of hard. There's people there and they have chariots of iron. And so can we have this little land over here that's not mm. presently occupied? Because we're a great people. And then Joshua pulls the old switcheroo on him and says, well, if you're a great people, you'll have no problem dispossessing the people that are there, even though they have chariots of fire. Or chariots of fire, chariots of iron. Anything else on that page? No, one of the things that jumped out to me, and well, Caleb is just such We're, a rock star. We turn the page one, 624. Page. Can Caleb, we talk about Caleb before we no, get back to that? No, go to Caleb. Okay. Caleb's amazing. So Caleb 
I was so struck by his bravery. I mean, he's 85 years old. He's put up with so much. He but she so- says his vigor was unabated. Yes. As well as his, his vim, I'm sure. His vim and his vigor, yeah. unabated. And, you know, most most people when they get to 85 might kind of feel like, okay, I've, I've done my dues. Like, yep. I'm going to just retire now. Yep. But no, he picked... He picked a challenge, yep. and it said because he wanted to be an example. And then um, I'm going to jump Amen. over to this page. I just starred all the, the things that were said about him. His faith was just what it was, you know. When he was before. young, yeah, when he went in and said, they're bread for us. We can take this place. His vigor was unabated. And his vim. His zeal did not abate. Amen. Um, and one thing that struck me was how I am so appreciate that God values every age and every generation. Oh, and, great application. You know, one of the things I don't think there's a lot of sensitivity to in our culture is ageism. So we talk about racism, sexism. Not a lot of people focus on ageism. Mm-hmm. And that is when we stereotype people or discriminate against them based on their age. It's easy to assume things about people just because they're elderly that aren't necessarily true. Or just because they're young, right? It goes the other way too. Right. But there was, a, I was reading um, the World Health Organization surveyed 57 countries, uh, 85,000 people, and they found that over half of people have um, ageism tendencies. Ageist tendencies. Ageist tendencies, yes. And yet I have, you know, I have worked with some of the most awesome elderly people in church work mm-hmm. that they're like, they're like Caleb. They're just totally inspiring. They're making things happen. And I love like that Christianity uh, it unites all generations. Yeah, it unites people along racial lines, ethnic lines, yeah. national lines, age lines. I mean, this is a great point. One of the things I've said to my boys because my let me back up here a little bit because my first father abandoned me, my second father abandoned my brother and I. Um, I didn't get like a dad dad until I was almost into my teen years. Mm. And so my dad was my granddad. And my grandmother was in many ways like a mother. Even though I had a mother, she was going to nursing school and she was amazing. So I saw my grandparents as like my parents. Mm -hmm. So I've always had a tremendous connection to an affinity for older people. Yeah. And... I'll say this. I've told this to my young to my sons over and over and over again. This is what I say to them. There is no such thing as old people. Mm-hmm. There's just people. Right? Every like my friend Dick O'Phil used to say, everybody is old age positive. Right? Like we're all every one of us is going to get old. Yeah. Or, you know, what's worse than that? Not getting old. Right. Right. So so don't think of people as old people because you see somebody who's 70, you see somebody who's 80, you see somebody who's 90. Guess what? They don't feel, I, I had a member of my church, his name was Milton Edwards. I said he was 94 years old when he finally passed away. Mm. He was an amazing human being, just an extraordinary person, had 12 children. Wow. And 11 of them were daughters. Wow. Yeah, wow is right. And then they all like married. And then a lot of those people went to my church. So they're all interrelated, but they don't have the last names that communicate right, this. Oh, right. it was a mess to figure out. But- Probably, oh, two years before Milton passed away, and he passed away, if I'm not mistaken, at 94 or 95, I said, Milton, when did you kind of start feeling like an old man? Mm-hmm. And I asked him this a couple of years before he passed away. He was still working in the banana plantation, building. I mean, he was an extremely accomplished mm-hmm. person. And I'll never forget his answer. He said, it hasn't happened yet. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. When did you start feeling like an old person? Yeah. It hasn't happened yet. Yeah. I love it. Can I tell you a story about yeah. my grandpa? Yeah. Go. Okay. So um, my grandpa loved to read. I don't know if he read in the bathtub, but when he <laughs> was probably about my age, he was a young physician. He had helped start um, a rehab hospital in Pennsylvania. Okay. And I like him already. He was reading a book about the history of the Moravian church, like in what's now known as the Czech Republic. Right. And um, we know after the Protestant Reformation, there was like a counter-reformation. And so efforts are being made to destroy the books of the reformers and destroy Bibles um, because uh, they wanted, you know, to take control back into the hands of church authorities. And so my grandpa's reading this book and he comes to this page that talks about a monk named Anton Kanayich. And he, this guy came to the Czech Republic. Um, he was a Jesuit and he... Um, wanted to destroy Bibles and books. And he tried to keep a count of like an estimate of how many books he had destroyed. Um, and he would risk his life to come in and burn books. And uh, he said at the end that he knew he had destroyed uh, roughly 60,000 books or more. Okay. So, and a lot of those were Bibles. Yeah. So my grandpa was reading this and he was like, I want to... I want to help undo what that guy did. <laughs> and so he made this goal to pass out 60,000 books in his lifetime. Oh, what a, yeah, so, what a great goal. So what he would do is like when he saw a patient, now this is before HIPAA and before everyone would get offended about if you share your faith right. or whatever, but he would write on his prescription pad, like the name of a book. And the person could take it to the local Christian bookstore and they would just give it to them. Like they knew and then my, they would bill my grandpa for it. Oh, that's so, so he's cool. giving out his book prescriptions and um, just giving all kinds of books away through his life and, and his whole medical practice into his, um, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s. So he's like 84 and he didn't even tell anyone in the family about it. And I was talking to him on the, on the phone. I was at Southern at the time. And... Um, he was like, I'm really sad because I don't think I'm going to be able to finish this goal. And he finally told me about it. And I said, well, how many do you have left? And he was like, uh, 5,000. So it was really special because we got to help um, my family and some of my friends got to help finish that dream and get out the rest of those books shortly before he passed away, uh, he passed away just a few months before That's he passed away. That's a great story. I love that and story. And I share that because like, I think when we think about God's work and God's mission, mm. we need to think like, I'm in this until I die. Right. Like I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share Jesus in every decade of my life. And each person in each now. phase of life is able to share in a different way. Correct. But God keeps using people till the day they die if they're willing to be yeah. used by him. Hallelujah. I like your granddad. What was his name? Russell. Russell. Um. Yeah, this is the point, right? Like people are not old. People are just people. Mm -hmm. And everybody, even those that are in their 80s, 90s and beyond. In fact, my probably my very favorite church member at the last church I pastored. And I would tell everybody this, including the church members. Her name was Agnes Marshall. And uh, she finally passed away, I think, just before her 104th birthday. Mm. And uh, she was an amazing human being. I just loved her so much. And she was an evangelist. Well, well past 100, 100, 100, 102, uh, Australian Geographic did a story on her. She sewed all of her mm. own clothes. I mean, one of the most extraordinary people. She drove until she was 99. 
And she, if she goes to the store, she goes to the post office, she was telling people about Jesus. Mm. You know, you could not tell her, hey, you're an old person, have a seat. He's like, what are you talking about? There's breath in my lungs. I'm going to tell people about Jesus. And that's Caleb. Caleb's like, hey, um, no, I don't want the easiest spot like Ephraim. Um, Give me Hebron. And then I'm going to go and, you know, conquer this mountain territory. He specifically requested the territory that had caused the hearts of Israel 40 years before, 40 plus years before, to be faint with fear. Now, give me that place. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm with you on that. Really inspiring. Caleb was amazing. And I love your point here that God wants to use people of all nations, all ethnicities, all ages, right? God wants to use all of us. Mm-hmm. Amen. Mm-hmm. Um, so then there's this really cool paragraph. This is at the bottom of page 625, 513, where she throws in, she uses Caleb as a launching pad to talk about faith. Yep. This, is, this was one of my favorite paragraphs in the whole thing. You want to read that for us? The cowards and yes. the rebels. Bottom of page 625, uh, 513 of the original. The cowards and rebels had perished in the wilderness, but the righteous spies ate of the grapes of Eshkol. Eshkol. To each was given according to his faith. The unbelieving had seen their fears fulfilled. Notwithstanding God's promise, they had declared that it was impossible to inherit Canaan, and they did not possess it. There you go. But those who trusted in God, looking not so much to the difficulties to be encountered as to the strength of their almighty helper, entered the beautiful land. Keep going. Keep going right to the end. It was through faith that the ancient worthies subdued kingdoms, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. This is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. She's quoting there from Hebrews 11 and 1 John 5. So notice that she uses not only faith, she uses two synonyms for faith in this paragraph, belief or believing Mm -hmm. and trust. Yeah. So this whole, her summary point here is, and she's drawing from Hebrews 11 and 1 John 5 is, the people that said, oh no, it's going to be hard, guess what? Their lack of faith became a self-fulfilling prophecy. And the people that said, we got this, their faith became a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. Cool. Really cool. I Can I tell you why I like what she said about the grapes? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I wonder if you had the same idea that I had. Oh, what go. did you have? No, you go. Okay. You go. So once I had a competition with one of my friends to see who could fit the most grapes in their mouth. I've done that too. Okay. It's dangerous. Don't do it at home. It's we don't a... recommend it. People have died by playing yeah. Chubby Bunny with the marshmallows and doing that. Okay. But guess how many grapes I got in my mouth? Um, I remember when I did it, I got over 60. So I'm going to say 53. 50. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Okay, of course, like the grapes all crush together, so then there's like drool coming right. down. Did that happen right. to you? Um, <laughs> I don't remember. Okay, I just remember. Well, don't try it at home because we don't want OT with DA to be dangerous. Yes, um, do not try this at home. Not recommended by Russell, the physician, or any other physician. Our grapes are pretty small. That's why we can put that many in our yeah. Mouths. These things would okay. be like. But the grapes we know from before they were big. The size they were huge. Like you couldn't even fit one in are your mouth. Are these supposed to be grapes? Well, yeah, but you need, to, I, you need to work on your. I need to work on you my need to skills. Work on your skills. Yeah, maybe someone can draw grapes for us. So, my point is, the giants were big, but so but were so the were grapes. grapes. Oh, that's a great point. Everybody, write that down. Make a note of that. The giants were big, but so were the grapes. And the people that had faith ended up getting to eat the grapes. That's great. So what 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 occurred to me was this has got that sort of Matthew twenty six vibe where Jesus is with his disciples and he says, I'm not going to drink of this fruit of the vine until the day I drink it new with you in the kingdom. In other words, there's a victory to be won. And on the other side of this victory, 
those that have faith will get to eat the grapes. And they got to eat the grapes. What? Is that your point? My promise. If we're filled with faith, we'll eat the grapes. Oh, we'll get okay. there in a second. Okay. Well, yes. that was what I love that idea. I absolutely love that idea that the giants were big, but so were the grapes. Yep. Think about the grapes, not the giants. Yep. Boom. Um, okay, then she has a couple paragraphs there. This is 626, 514, where she talks about those that had no faith, right? And this is especially Ephraim. Ephraim comes up, they're a big tribe. They're like, yo, there's like these chariots of iron. And can we have this other area over here that's, you know, subdued? And, and then Joshua pulls the switcheroo on him and says, well, since you're such a great people, mm -hmm. since there's so many of you, you'll have no problem dispossessing those mm -hmm. that remain. And the line that the the line and the word that she uses in here that really jumped out to me was that they regarded themselves as entitled to special consideration. Yeah. Enti and that word entitled is such an important word in 2022. Am yep. I wrong? Yep. Right? Like I mean, no, you're not wrong. You're right. <laughs> <laughs> people just feel entitled. They're like, I, I mean, I don't want to go too specific on this, but I think you'll know what I'm saying when I say that people just want to be affirmed in whatever they're doing, whatever they believe, whatever that you're not entitled to other people's praise. You're not entitled to other people's respect. These things have to be earned, right? They have to be purchased, right? With the sort of uh, social currency that you just, you don't just get to say, Hey, I demand that people think about me in a certain way, relate to me in a certain way. It doesn't work that way. You have mm -hmm. to purchase with social currency trustworthiness and reliability and faithfulness and, you know, industriousness. You don't just get to be regarded as a certain way because you say, hey, this is how I want you to regard me. No, it doesn't work that way. And entitlement is so unattractive. Hmm. I mean, is there a human virtue that is less attractive than people that feel entitled unjustifiably, right? Or, or irrationally entitled. It's so off-putting to me. Hmm. Yeah, Any thoughts on that? Well, I think it's so easy for entitlement to creep into all of our thinking. Like we have expectations about certain situations or about the people around us and how we want them to relate to us. Yep. And when things go wrong, it, it often feels like I didn't deserve that or I deserve something better. Right. Um, and the, the problem with that is that entitlement leads to discontentment, to Correct. sadness, to Correct. anxiety, because you're con you're not able to appreciate what you have. Correct. And, and Ephraim's a great example here. Like yeah. they had an allotment, yeah. but they're like dissatisfied. Like, no, this isn't enough. And their entitlement creates dissatisfaction with their actual situation. Yeah, but Joshua deals with it really well. No, Joshua deals with it really well. And I just want to throw in a little grammatical pet peeve that I have. Entitled means entitled. Titled means titled. And it drives me crazy when people say something like, today's sermon is entitled you know, walk by faith. No, it's not entitled to walk by faith. It's titled walk by faith. Please don't ever do that, especially if David's visiting Yeah, it church. drives me crazy. Yeah, it, entitled means just what we're talking about here, to feel that you are owed something, that you're deserved something. The title of something do is it's titled. Do you feel entitled to people using that word correctly? Yeah, well, only because it's what the dictionary says. Words have meaning. Okay. And I can understand, by the way, it's a forgivable offense because entitled Sounds a lot like title, but I'm just letting you know it drives me a little crazy. Okay. Do you have any grammatical pet peeves that drive you just a little? Uh, I do. Um, like your and that your expression, and its and its. I, um, I could care less. I could care less. Yeah. 
versus I couldn't care less. Yeah, it, it I couldn't care less makes more sense because it's saying that you don't care because right. you couldn't care less. Yeah, in Australia, whenever you would like, not always, but very often when somebody would would put you on hold or, or they just were asking you to wait, they would say, it won't be a minute. But, so then is it going to be five years? Because it won't be a minute. But it's their way of saying it's going to be just a short time, but it always drove me crazy. Like, what do you mean it won't be a minute? Maybe they're saying it'll be less than a minute. Anyway. Um, so you were, you just said Joshua deals with this really well. How does he deal with it? What does he do? So I love how Ellen White uses the word inflexible, inflexible here. Cause yeah. usually typically we think of inflexibility as a really bad, bad trait, thing. Yeah. but there are certain things that we shouldn't be flexible about. Right. And he, as a leader knew that if he acquiesces to their request, it's not going to be good for their characters. Right. And he's going to be solidifying them in their cowardice. Right. Um, so Great he point. says, so they had come to him and said, we're a great people, so we need something else. Right. He's like, you're a great people and have great power. <laughs> you shall drive out the Canaanites, though they have iron chariots and are strong. So he kind of turned it back around on them, which yeah. I thought was pretty clever. It's got this, the sort of opening pages here have that Psalm 20, verse 7 vibe, right? Mm -hmm. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of Yahweh, our God, mm. right? Like this is the backdrop for all of this. And I like this. I think Joshua handles this really well. Yeah, you are a great people. Go act like a great people. Yeah. Right? He didn't He didn't um, acquiesce to their entitlement. Right. Uh, okay. Which was the more compassionate? That was the more compassionate thing. The, the more thing compassionate thing. It's like your Dietrich Bonhoeffer quote that you love. Like sometimes what looks cruel is actually compassionate, and sometimes what looks compassionate is actually cruel. Mm -hmm. Right? It's all about context. And if, if Josh would have been like, yeah, you know what? You're right. You know, you're a big tribe. They are, there are iron chariots there. Everybody was like, oh, he's so understanding. He's such a good leader. He's so accommodating, like mm -hmm. Aaron with the golden calf. Yeah. But that kindness would have actually been a great cruelty, not only to them in yeah. the moment, but to their, you know, subsequent generations. Yeah. Woo. Okay, so then uh, Shiloh. You got anything to say about Shiloh? The I'm Ark remains you, at Shiloh. I'm going to let you take that I don't, I don't have a lot there. Just that yeah. the Ark was placed there. It remains there for 300 years until the time of Eli. There's which we'll so talk much about. more later on. Yep. But, yeah. But then she gets into the cities of refuge, and I'm sure you've got something. Yes. Here. Okay. Yes, yes. Lay it on us. What do you got? Um. What jumped out at you? So. How many cities of refuge were there? There were six. A lot of them. And they were all within a half a day's journey. Yeah, there were six of them. Six on the eastern side of the Jordan, six on the western side of the Jordan. Yeah. So um, one of the things I'm particularly interested about uh, in, because I have had um, a few different friends that have been falsely accused of crime yeah. and suffered terribly because of it. Um, I'm, I'm into like the Innocence Project, which advocates for people that are falsely accused. And there's so many, you know, dramatic stories like Amanda Knox and other people that have been accused of something horrible yeah. um, and treated unjustly. And I really appreciate about, you know, the U.S. legal system, at least there's a bit of an assumption like you're innocent until proven guilty. Right. So it helps protect people because while justice is important, a lot of injustice can happen if we don't have the proper process in place. Correct. So I love that God has this provision because sometimes people you know, as, as horrible as it is, sometimes people... Accidents happen. Accidents happen and people kill people without meaning to. Correct. And thankfully, our legal system, you know, recognizes that distinction. But the custom at the time here was that even if it was involuntary, the next of kin would, you know... Go and kill try the killer. To, right. And so... 
you just, can see how that would lead to an you know uninterrupted escalation, right? Like, and an eventual you know clan and tribal warfare. You have the and, Hatfields like, and the McCoys, continue right? Continue for centuries, right? I just loved how it was so intentional. These cities are all relatively close. Yep. It said the roads were, the roads were clear. Really well, the signs are there, and it shows that God really doesn't want people to be punished or suffer for crimes that they didn't commit, which yeah. I, I love that about God. And all of it, of course, is a giant analog for Jesus, uh-huh. right? Jesus is the city of refuge. The ways are clear. The signs are clear. You can get there quickly. Anybody can go there, right? Like all of this is a great big portrait of Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is the city of refuge, the one to whom you can flee, right? And And then you will be protected there. But yeah. you have to go quickly. You can't. She makes this point. You can't delay. You yeah. can't hesitate. The signage has to be clear. We have to keep the roads clear yeah. of debris so that you can just race there if you are in danger. And then she makes the point: we're all in danger. Yeah. And the other thing that really jumped Woo! out is like I love it. she compared Jesus to the city of refuge that you run to. Right. She compared Satan to the one that's chasing you. Right. You know. And oftentimes people get tricked into thinking. Oh, if I'm sinning, God's, God's on my case. Me, He's right. chasing me in order to punish me. It's the opposite. But Satan is the one that's actively pursuing. The avenger of blood. Yeah, that like he tempts people to sin, and then he accuses them of sin and tries to get, you know, tries to say God should be harsh towards them. Yeah, when when God in that archetypal sin, right, the original sin in Genesis chapter 3, when God comes into the garden, he's not coming in to administer judgment, but to announce good news. Mm. Now, you could say he's coming in to administer judgment, but that's to the serpent, mm-hmm. right? Like literally God, this is why Abraham Joshua Heschel called his book, God in Search of Man. The whole of the sort of Judeo-Christian scaffolding is not man in search of God, it's God in search of man. And this is why I say that the first missionary in the Bible is God. Mm. God goes in search of the lost, and when he finds them, he pronounces judgment on the enemy, the avenger of blood, the accuser, and he announces good news to Adam and Eve, mm. and this is the cities of refuge serve this. In addition to the, all these beautiful analogies and the gospel implications, it's also just a much better system than this ever escalating. You know, yeah. you take one, I take two. You take two, I take three. You take three, I take five. You take five, and yeah. This is why a lot of people think, oh, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. It's so cruel. Actually, it was a mitigation strategy to avoid escalation. Mm. One for one, this for that. I mean, it's actually very fair. It's yeah. civil. Yeah. And it avoids this unnecessary sort of, you know, um, escalation that lead to these like Hatfield and McCoy style. Uh, um, what's the word I'm looking for there? What do they call that? Feuds. Feuds. That's the word I couldn't remember. Yeah, these feuds. And yet she, you know, she makes it very clear this provision isn't for people that intentionally murdered someone. No, well, that's a whole um, different... Of course, Jesus can still be a city of refuge no sure. matter what someone has right. done. But the cities of refuge were not for those situations. But she makes this point... Because if if you were found out, like you you make your case before the magistrates, if you're yeah. found out to have been to have hated the person beforehand, she's quoting here from Numbers, then you were just put out of the city, and then the avenger of blood just had his way with you. Mm. Which is a little barbaric and primitive to us, but... Can I just say that according to Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 11, one of the reasons that crime proliferates and that and that lawlessness proliferates is precisely because people can commit crimes and it takes forever for there to be a judgment, mm-hmm. right? Like, in my opinion, if somebody has committed a heinous crime, the process by which they are tried and 
found to be guilty or not guilty and then appealed, all of that should be massively condensed. Mm. So there's not this great period of latency between the crime and the punishment. Well, after you finish your reading challenges, you can help reform the, the yeah, criminal well, justice system. I mean, system. we live in a world where nowadays it's not it's it's not fixable. Yeah. Okay, but it's just not fixable. On that point, she says the safety and purity of the nation demanded that the sin of murder be severely punished. Human life, which God alone could give, must be sacredly guarded. Amen. No, this is why. This is why. In the Old Testament, it was a life for a life, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. You don't have the prerogative to take somebody else's life on purpose, right? And and the difference between the Bible makes a distinction between high-handed sin and, um, you know, in, unintentional or a sin of negligence, uh, a murder of negligence, right? Like I'm chopping with my axe, my axe head flies off, hits somebody in the head. Hey, I'm still responsible there. I didn't do it on purpose, but I didn't check the little shim to make sure. I was chopping when somebody else was there. I endanger that person. And yes, accidents happen, but I still have some culpability. Hmm. And this is why we make the distinction between, you know, murder in the first, second, third degree, and then man's, manslaughter. Mm -hmm. But mm -hmm. they're all illegal because even if you take somebody's life by accident, it's still a crime, right? It's not okay. You can't say, oh, I didn't know. I, I, I was busy doing something and I didn't know. I didn't mean to kill that family of four. Well, we know you didn't mean to do it, but you're still going to be punished. And this is why we shouldn't text and drive. You should definitely not text and drive. The other thing you shouldn't do is abort babies, right? Like all life is sacred and a child, an in utero child is alive and it's a baby and God has created that baby and fashioned that baby and it should be illegal to take the life of that baby. And I'm immovable on this. It's interesting also in recent years that there's been more of a, pu a push towards euthanasia. Yeah. And, yeah. and, um, I think that's so problematic because, you know, part of what led to what happened in the Holocaust started out as euthanasia of disabled or right. very sick people. Right. And then that turned into concentration camps and mass extermination. Right. It's always the so, dehumanization. Yeah. So whether it's the very, very old or the very, very young or the very, very incapacitated, as soon as we start dehumanizing, then that slippery slope just allows you to just move the not move it over one notch, move it over one notch, move it before you know. Now we're cleansing along racial or national or ethnic lines. Like what? Mm. No, it doesn't work. We the only place to draw that line is that thou shalt not kill. Mm. That life is sacred, life is from God, and we don't have the prerogative to take it. Now, as a punishment, and a lot of people say, how can you be, for example, people will say, how can you be pro-life with mm -hmm. regards, which I'm, you know, you know, committedly pro-life and, and immovably pro-life, then they say, how could somebody that was pro-life be um, pro-capital punishment? And by the way, I'm not, I'm not saying you have to be pro-capital punishment, but there's a very different thing here. If somebody has abused their freedom and used their freedom to purposefully take the lives of other people, there is a punishment associated with that. And one way or the other, you should have your life taken. Either it's actually taken, like your life is taken, mm -hmm. or you spend the rest of your life in a jail cell, which is really like taking their life as well. Like you're taking away their freedom, mm -hmm. you're taking away their... So you've taken a life, you lose your life. But in the case of the elderly, the infirmed, the, un, uh, the as yet born, what crime? There's not a more vulnerable population on the planet than the unborn. Who, who would be more vulnerable than an unborn child? There's no population. 
Right. Right. And so the, the populations that are the most vulnerable, we should be the most vigorous and militant in our protection of. And today, I'll say this, we have moved so far away from Bill Clinton's famous abortion should be safe, legal, and rare. Right? Like, th that that was Clinton just two decades ago. Abortion should yeah, be safe, legal, and Yeah, there's TikTok videos where it's like... It's a, a celebration now. You literally see people saying, I had an abortion and I'm so glad I had an abortion. It was the best thing I ever did. Like, they're talking about eating a a chocolate cake or something, or, mm. you know, going to a Tony Robbins seminar, like, oh, this was the best thing. And you see people saying things like, well, if I hadn't had an abortion, then you wouldn't have this, like, I remember the lead singer for Fleetwood Mac recently. She was like, if I hadn't had an abortion, I wouldn't have been able to do what I do, and you wouldn't have Fleetwood Mac. So you should thank God for an abortion. It's evil. It's all evil. I'm not saying that the people themselves are evil, though the act is unambiguously evil, and we live in such a brainwashed culture right now that people literally think it's fine. Think about this. I'm, I'm really sensitive about this for a number of reasons. I was a high-risk child to be aborted because my mom was very young and my father abandoned me. So I, I'm exactly the kind of person that gets aborted, right? And mm -hmm. then my mother was a neonatal intensive care nurse, a NICU nurse, and she used to bring home little pictures. And this was technology from 20 years ago, 25 years ago, little you know pictures of the tiniest little babies in her hands and these babies would live, right? Babies that were at like 24, 25 weeks, sometimes even earlier. Nowadays, babies that are as early as 21 and 22 weeks are being born extremely premature and surviving. So they have this whole, and I'm kind of going in a little deep here, but they have this whole thing about viability, you know, abortion prior to 15 weeks, viability. Well, how about this? A brand new baby that's just born. There's your baby, it's born. If that baby's not given special attention and care by the mother or by some caretaker, well, that baby's not viable. It's going to die, right? If you just have a baby and you just set it on the table and say, okay, fend for yourself, that mm -hmm. child will die. Mm -hmm. So is that child not viable? And this is why there are some people that literally advocate for the legitimacy of infanticide. Yeah, like Peter. Peter, Peter Singer, Singer and others. Like, yeah. well, you know, they don't know. They don't, it just, it's just insane. So the whole viability argument doesn't work. Yeah. I, I, anyway, I, we don't have to go too much deeper on that, but this right. is something I'm really passionate about. And I think the Christian church uh, needs to be affirming of the reality that unwanted pregnancies are sad and terrible and unfortunate, mm -hmm. but that the solution, the solution is not to kill the baby. Mm. You know, say, hey, you know what? Yeah, You're going to kill the baby. What an inconvenience. No. I'm pro-life as well, and I think it's super important for the church to approach this issue with a great deal of sensitivity, and I don't think that Christians have always approached the issue the right way, but we need to work on um, supporting single moms, Agreed. teen moms, reducing the stigma. Like, it's so incredibly brave Agreed. for a teenage mom to have a baby. Agreed. And, Amen. like, they should be our heroes. I mean, of Amen. course, you know, we want to promote biblical sexuality, but... Like, if someone's willing to have a baby, like, they deserve our support, and we need to promote Agreed. adoption. You Amen. know, some denominations are very active, active. about I was adopted twice, promoting adoption. so I'm hugely yeah. pro-adoption. And I also need to show, you know, our pro-life ethic, and I, I'm actually anti-death penalty because I see that as part of my pro-life ethic, but to think of uh, pro-life ethic as, like, it also includes care for the poor and care for the stranger and like care for the people that are already alive. And I think sometimes um, Christians could be taken more seriously in the pro-life um, arena if they were 
actively showing that they care about people in every state. Yeah, of I'm going I'm to give you pushback on that because Christians are some of the most active people currently and through the whole of history to care for the poor and those that have needs. And I mean, you just were talking a moment ago, your father was a medical doctor. He started this, or your grandfather was a medical doctor. I mean, the amount of missionary work and life-affirming work that have been done for those that are alive by Christian far exceeds the work that have been done in these areas, especially I'm talking in Western contexts and countries here, by non-Christian people, right? So, so yeah, it is true. There are some loudmouths that are like, you know, just say abortion, 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 and they're not talking about the other things. But for the most part, you, you'd have to take a very balanced view and say that the Christian church, it, I mean, like all the hospitals in this area are what? They're Catholic hospitals, they're Lutheran hospitals, mm-hmm. they're Adventist hospitals. Mm-hmm. And there are, say, or Jewish hospitals. Yeah. There are secular hospitals. But I, I've never been persuaded at all by that argument that, well, you can't talk about abortion unless you also have this other sort of pro-life ethic, as you're saying. Christians have a pro-life ethic. Yeah, and I don't think that's what I was saying, that you can't talk about it. I'm just saying um, there is, and I absolutely believe, like, many Christians and Christian organizations have done and are doing great work yeah, in the world. And I know you believe that. But I think there's room for growth in this particular area, how can Christians, how can Seventh-day Adventists support young single mothers? Sure, agree. How totally can we agree. promote adoption more within the yep, Adventist yep. Um, agree. community? And how can we, um, when we share, because when we talk about this, we're wading into a deeply divisive you know, political issue where people are trained to think about it a certain way because people are defining personhood in a different way. Right. And that's really the core of, of Correct. the debate. Correct. But we need to show it's because we care about the comprehensive human flourishing totally of agree. the world and that abortion uh, or is one of many things that Correct. we are sensitive yes, to. Yes, I completely agree. And and I, 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 just, I maybe I got a little sort of aggressive there because I sometimes hear people say... Yeah. You shouldn't talk about abortion if you're not also going to talk. Well, we can talk about evils of all kinds. Like, who are you to say to me that I can't talk about something? No, the Bible says you shall not kill. For me, this is just absolutely clear. You're also correct that, yeah, we should be doing more to promote adoption and, you know, drug abuse programs and all. Yes. And the feeding of the homeless. Yes. And yes. And yes. And yes. But none of that in any way is in tension with saying we shouldn't be killing babies because it's not the baby's fault that they ended up in that womb. And and I think it's also important to minister to moms who Amen. you know who have had abortions or sometimes deep shame, deep guilt, and we need to be able to share our ethic in a way that's very sensitive to that. Because I mean, what would you say to someone if there's someone watching who has an, had an abortion who regrets? Well, it? I meet people all the time that say yeah. they have had an abortion. The key is, and they regret it. This is a totally yeah. different way of facing the issue than to say this, we were talking about earlier, the celebration of right. how awesome right. abortion is. Abortion is amazing. It's like cinnamon rolls. It's a great thing. No, it's not a great thing. It's a terrible mm. thing. And the people that I have met, and I've had many women over the years in my office telling me that they'd had abortion and yeah. they were they felt terrible about it and they were gutted. And I say, it's a sin and God forgives you and you've confessed it and you feel great remorse. And now what, what do we do? Well, we can't live our life backwards. We have to live our life forward. Yeah. And so, yeah, we have to be sensitive. And, and I honestly think that the, the primary guilty party here is not the mother. It's, it's the state. It should be illegal. Yeah. It should just be an illegal thing. So it's not even an option that's available. And, and there's such a pervasive ideology in our culture that 
um, you know, the fetus isn't a person. And right. so women who have made that decision have, you know, to they a certain made extent been a victim of this horrible correct, ideology. Correct, and correct. God understands that. And yet God does want to guide us into, into truth about the Great way we point. think about human life. Like in Psalm 139, when he talks about um, the value of, of no, the you're unborn. exactly right. The, the only, and I'm, I'm not giving you pushback, I'm just saying that we, we need to be very careful because we don't say to people, for example, that lived in the time of the transatlantic slave trade, we don't say, well, they didn't know. You right. know, they didn't really know. And they thought that black people were less or that people of color were less. And so let's not hold it. We say, no, that was wrong. That was evil. And it's not okay. So it is true that people can make bad decisions based on misinformation. Like, oh, it's, it's just a clump of cells. And then when it passes through the birth canal, it magically becomes a little baby. No, we have to say that's wrong and not that the people themselves, in the case of abortion, because there's a lot of misinformation and there's a lot of trauma that goes along with it, but we need to be unambiguous. And, and I don't like it, and I know you're not saying this, but it just drives me crazy when I see Christians being ambiguous about the death and the destruction of the literally the most vulnerable population on earth. Mm -hmm. And I just feel like we need to be absolutely adamant in our pro-life ethic, but then again, your point is well taken. We need to be understanding and accepting and affirming. We need to preach the gospel to people that have done things that they wish they hadn't done. Mm -hmm. Amen. All right. So we we got onto that because Ellen White says here at the bottom of page 629, 629, human life, which alone God could give, must be sacredly guarded. Mm -hmm. Sacredly guarded. Okay, uh, turning the page now. She then continues to talk about the uh, cities of refuge. She says it's a symbol of Christ. And then she goes into this uh, whole page here about urgency. You need to get there. You need to race there. You can't delay. And then she makes this really great point that when it comes to Jesus as a symbol of the cities of refuge, you can't just believe. You have to believe. You have to go. And you have to abide. Yeah, you had to stay in the you city. You had to stay in the city. Yeah. This is such a great analogy for faith in Jesus. Like, mm. you know, Jesus said, except you abide in me, mm -hmm. right? You have to stay, you have to remain in Jesus. And when we remain in Jesus, then the avenger of blood, the accuser of the brethren cannot get access to us. Mm. Hallelujah. Um, okay, so then we have this little, this little hiccup that happens with the tribes of the two and a half tribes on the eastern side. Um, this is the eastern side of the Jordan. This is Gad and Reuben and half of Manasseh. Mm -hmm. And they build their little altar. Why don't you tell us what happens there, Elise? What's the what's the hiccup? What's the yeah. kerfuffle over here? So there's a misunderstanding because the, these two and a half tribes um, had stayed on the other side of the river, right? Mm -hmm. um, because there was more pasture there for their sheep. Right. And um, they had built some sort of an altar. So the word gets back to the rest of the children of Israel that there's an altar. And this is like alarm what? bells going off because God had specifically said, you're not supposed to build Can't another do that. altar of sacrifice. And so, like, people are freaking out. And the other, the leaders of the other 10 tribes, there's a group meeting called, and they're ready to go to war um, because they up. think these people have gravely sinned. Well, some, thankfully, there were some cautious minds yep. in the mix. And they said, we need to first ask. Let's send a delegation. Yeah, let's figure out for sure what happened before we overreact. And that was a really good move because... And it was Phinehas they sent. It's fascinating that it was Phinehas. And why is that fascinating? Well, it's fascinating because Phinehas is the one at uh, Baal Peor 
that went and like rammed uh, Cosby and Zimri through mm. with the javelin. In other words, he's a no nonsense person who's not going to soft pedal if we've got a real idolatrous situation here. Mm -hmm. He's the perfect person to go in because he's dealt with a situation like this in the past. And anyway, I cut you off yeah. a little bit, but he's the perfect person. So they, the delegation goes, they, yep. and they're, you know, even though they are going to listen, they weren't real nice about the confrontation, <laughs> yeah. right? It yeah. was like, what are you doing? They go in guns a-blazing. Guns a-blazing. And she points out that the response of uh, these two and a half tribes, what is Gad, Reuben, and half of Manasseh, um, was non-defensive. Yep, yep. And they listened patiently. I love, yeah, like they listen. Of course, it's really hard when you're being accused of something falsely. Right. To not be like, what are you talking about? You're the one that's. How dare you're, you? And right? then the whole thing escalates and then right? it's a mess. But she she basically says that their non-defensiveness helped save their lives. Correct. Um, She said the wisdom displayed by the Reubenites and their companions is worthy of imitation while honestly seeking to promote the cause of true religion. They were misjudged and severely censured. Correct. Because the reason they built the altar wasn't to be an altar of sacrifice, but a, a monument commemoration. Right. Just to show that they were still on the same team. They were on the same on team. The other side of the river. And it was like a replica of the altar. Yeah. Yeah. They manifested no resentment. They listened with courtesy and patience. Yep. And she goes on. Um, she uses the word courtesy like five times. Yeah. Even under false accusation, those who are in the right can afford to, to be, be calm, calm and considerate. God is acquainted with all that is misunderstood and misrepresented by men, and we can safely leave misinterpreted our- Misinterpreted by uh, men. Yeah, misinterpreted by men, and we can safely leave our case in his hands. This is one of the great lines in the whole thing. This was so beautiful to me because, you know, I've been in situations, and I'm still healing from a situation where, you know, I said I tried to do what I thought was right and someone horribly misunderstood me and mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. like it's so painful for someone to misunderstand you, especially when you're trying to do what mm. is right, when you're trying to do something that's protective for that Mercy. person and loving towards that person, and they turn around and say that you're cruel or they cut you out of their life. It's like so painful. And I I love this idea. God is acquainted with all that is misunderstood. And because of because that... Because Jesus was misunderstood. Right. We don't have to, you know, we can calmly explain like the Reubenites did. If there's a, you know, if there's false information, we can try yep. to calmly explain. Yep. But we can't always be understood. And yet we don't have to, you know, we don't have to lash out in the way that might be natural um, because ultimately God is in control of the situation. Yeah, beautiful. And and when people come at us in this hostile way, even if we calmly listen, courteous, 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 and then we give, you know, reasonable answers, believable answers, yeah. an answer that possesses explanatory scope, we will not always be met with the same kind of magnanimity that yeah. they were met with here, and, right? Yeah, and that's what happened to me. That's why this quote was so powerful. Because not everyone wants to listen. And, and Jesus, I mean, Jesus was the most misunderstood person in the whole of human history. Yeah. And the most misinterpreted person in the whole of, I mean, Jesus, his actions were, you know, grossly misapprehended, grossly misunderstood, and it eventually led to his death. And so when she says here that God is acquainted with all that is misunderstood and misrep misinterpreted by men, that's not only in the sort of omniscient sense where he's aware of all the factors in any exchange or conflict, but experientially, God knows what it is to be misunderstood and misrep misinterpreted. Yeah. 
both as God and as man. Yeah. Yeah, I just love, to me, this was so wonderful. Now, she does make this little point, and I think it was a fair point, that, that the tribes of Gad and Reuben and Manasseh had actually erred. Yeah. In that, they hadn't alerted the other tribes, hey, you guys, we're on the other side of the river, and we're going to build this altar, um, but it's not going to be an altar for actual sacrifice, so we don't want you to have any misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. So preemptively, this could have been avoided. They handled it really well mm -hmm. in terms of when the actual conflict arose, but another takeaway lesson for us, there, there's several takeaways. One is to assume the best about others' motives before you go in guns a-blazing. Mm -hmm. The other is to try and be sufficiently communicative so that unnecessary kerfuffles don't break out. Yeah. Right? Yeah. There's just so many great takeaway lessons here. And to suspend judge, like on the suspending judgment point, the person that this reminded me of, because like, praise the Lord that there were a few cautious people in the crowd. Yes. It's so easy when a group becomes Correct. enraged, like the mob mentality takes over for just to go along with it. Correct. Um, but there's cautious people in the crowd. And it reminded me of, um, I don't know if I'm saying his name right, Stanislav Petrov, yep. who he's the, the Russian guy who's part of the Russian army. And during the Cold War, um, of course, everyone's, you know, concerned about nuclear threats. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we've heard more about that in recent days because of the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. Um, but basically, in 1983, this uh, the warning system malfunctioned. And um, this guy's department, uh, they're, I mean, they're in charge for, you know, identifying incoming threats. They thought that the United States had had launched several missiles against Russia. Right. And he was I remember supposed this to story. like he's supposed to move forward, be the guy that pushes the button, or you know, right. I don't know if that's a metaphorical button or if there really was a button. But basically, he was supposed, if he had followed protocol, to then unleash nuclear weapons against the United States. Had he done that, you know, it could have easily killed billions of people. Right. I mean, I mean, at like, least millions. I mean, it could have millions, been a total nuclear meltdown. But yeah, then like. NATO versus yeah, right. it's just awful. So thankfully he had this caution, he had this type of caution that these people, you know, did mm -hmm. in this story. And he he thought that maybe the information was false. So he waited. And I believe he was actually punished uh in some form for not doing mm -hmm. what he was supposed to do according right. to protocol. He didn't um do this and he basically is known as the guy who saved the world. In fact, I'm planning on printing out a picture of him and hanging it in my living room and people will think he's my grandpa, but I just think he's such a hero. Stanislav Petrov. Right? Like The man who saved the world. Sometimes the acts of heroism aren't all about what we do. It's about what we don't do. It's about what we withhold ourselves mm. from doing. And, it, and we need to be so careful to suspend judgment when, you know, when we hear about situations about people, when someone is trying to encourage encourage us to think a certain way about this or about that to be able to say wait i want to make sure i have all the Correct. information i want to make sure the holy spirit is guiding my thoughts and that can save us and others from a lot of trouble yeah and and on that very often when you get large groups of people that are upset about a thing then people are not thinking with sufficient you know they tend to people tend to not be at their most clear their most measured sure. their most nuanced they're just like well, look at these people. They've built another altar. They're going the way of the Canaanite tribes on the other side. We need to kill them. Mm. And it's just like, whoa, that's a rapid escalation. And that's kind of a human tendency, right? Like you feel that you're in the right. You feel that you're righteous. You've immediately created an us and them world, right? This sort of 
um, tension between the people that are right and the people that are wrong. And we've we've just gone through this with the pandemic, right? Like the politicization of the pandemic, right? It was just like the, the good people and the bad people. And on both sides of that, they were just like, you're the bad people. No, you're the bad people. Mm. No, you're the bad people. No, you are the bad people. And then what do people do? Rather than sort of trying to get together and talk, because the media is making money off of this and the politicians love when there's tension because it really feeds their base, what if we just sort of backed off a little bit here, took a deep breath and said, okay, I see where you're coming from. I don't always agree with where you're coming from, but I mm -hmm. see that. That's a fair point. But in this day and age, especially like nuance and giving the benefit of the doubt and not rushing to judgment, these are things that are becoming, they're like diamonds. They're becoming increasingly yeah. rare. Yeah. And as Christians, we need to model not rushing to judgment, yeah. not charging in with swords drawn to kick butt on some situation that we're just sure we're on the right side of. Let's hear the other side. Mm -hmm. We may still hold to our convictions or maybe it was all a giant misunderstanding. Yeah. Um, I liked this chapter. I thought it was great. And then the final paragraph, she basically ends up talking about, um, uh, I'll just read it here, the final paragraph. It is the will of God that union and brotherly love should exist among his people. The prayer of Christ just before his crucifixion was that his disciples might be one as he is one with the Father, that the world might believe that God had sent him. The most touching and wonderful prayer reaches down the ages, even to our day, for his words were, I do not pray for these alone but for those who will believe in me through their word, John 17, 20. While we are not to sacrifice one principle of truth, it should be our constant aim to reach this state of unity. Mm. This is the evidence of our discipleship. Jesus said, John 13, 35, by this, we'll all know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. The apostle Peter exhorts the church, all of you be of one mind, have compassion for one another. Love as brothers, be tenderhearted, be courteous, not returning evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, blessing, mm -hmm. knowing that you were called to this, that you may inherit a blessing. Mm -hmm. Great chapter. Mm -hmm. um, Elise, let's do our rubric, okay. and then I can't wait to see what your word was. Okay. We hope you guys love that chapter too. Um, what was the point of this chapter, Elise? I have Jesus wants us to be content with what he's given us. Okay. Uh, I forgot to mention that. Just this idea of each tribe content. got something different, yep. but they were to be content. But it was fair. Yes. It wasn't identical, but it was fair. And that's the same as our lives. Like all of us have different collections of blessings and it can be so easy to want somebody else's. Right. Or to um, want more than what yeah. we have. So Jesus wants us to be content with what he's given us, courageous in our calling and compassionate in conflict. Well, that is so well said. Content with what he's given us, courageous in our calling, and compassionate in our conflict. Wow, really well said. Thank That's you. That's a great analysis. I wrote uh, to tell the story of the increasing conquest of Canaan and of the division of the land among the tribes. Many important themes are on offer here, faith, mm -hmm. civility, mm -hmm. and unity. Mm -hmm. But yours is really good there. I love the content, courageous, compassionate. Outstanding. Okay, what do we learn about God, person? Jesus is like a city of refuge. Very good. Get there as quickly as possible. Don't delay. The roads are clear. Anybody can go. You can be there in half a day. Go. Go to Jesus. And when you get there, stay there. Mm. And await your trial when the accuser of the brethren is going to say a bunch of bad stuff about you. And then Jesus is going to say, actually, no. Mm -hmm. This is my child. This is my child. Just like at the resurrection of Moses. The Lord rebuked thee. That's what Jesus is going to say. He's not going to enter into a big argument with the accuser. He's just going to say, the Lord rebuked thee. Mm. Here's what I wrote. God is a God of order and of grace, mm -hmm. right? Because it was ordered, it was, it was systematic. 
Um, he works with, around, and sometimes through human folly, but he much prefers to work with human faith. Mm-hmm. Right? Like God can work yeah, with our folly, good. but he'd much rather work with our faith. Um, how do we pray this chapter, Elise? God, please make us courageous and content like Caleb and Joshua. That's a great combination, courageous and content. Mm-hmm. I like the tension in those words. I have a two-part prayer. Number one, God help me to believe and to abide, mm-hmm. right? Like the city of refuge. And number two, help me to believe the best of others and to work for unity, understanding, peace, and when necessary, de-escalation. Mm-hmm. I want to be a, the Bible says, I mean, Jesus himself said, blessed are the peacemakers mm-hmm. because they will be called the sons of God. How do we practice this chapter? Yeah, so I had two practical things. One is a practice of gratitude. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't mention that, but I think uh, the idea of gratitude is here multiple times. Agreed. Like Caleb and Joshua remained grateful for God's blessings, yep. even yep. though they had to suffer for sins they didn't commit. Yep. Um, and then they were grateful with what God given them in contrast with these people that wanted something else. Mm. There's so much research about gratitude. Um, even at the end of every day, thinking of three things you're grateful for and yeah. just spending a few moments thinking about those things it has been shown to significantly increase mental health like in a mm. short period of time. So including some sort of gratitude practice in our lives in our days is a really positive practice. Yep. And then also I put honoring an elderly person in our lives. Oh, that's a great um, point of practical application. Martin Seligman, who's done a lot of gratitude research, one of the things he recommends in addition to the three things practice is write a letter to someone who you're grateful for. Um, and is that t- why and you sent me that letter? <laughs> I didn't send you a letter. <laughs> you I should. Am, I am grateful. Send for me you. a gratitude letter. I'll send I, I you a sticky note. Okay, thank you. Um, so that's funny. He so part of his gratitude challenge was doing this. And I think, especially in light of what we talked about, ageism and whatever, I just want to say, if anyone has the time and wants to do it, it'd be really cool to think of an elderly person in your life and tell them why you're grateful for them, whether it's a letter or a phone call, um, because I think that would mean a lot. I agree. Totally agree. Um, you said something there, the practice of gratitude. Oh, three things. Elise, today I am thankful for my friends that I spent time with today, mm. Andrea and Doreen, and you. So these are three really cool friends that I spent time with today. I'm thankful for borscht soup. I'm grateful that there's some left for me. Yes, and it's delicious. Um, and then I am uh, really thankful for you coming to be with OT with DA and reading this chapter in the whole community. Aww. Three things. Gratitude. I'm grateful for the plastic bags to, to tie, around tie around your feet, my feet. that you are endorcasizing. I'm grateful for the OT with DA community. Amen. And I'm grateful that, what is his name? Stanislav Petrov. Didn't push the button. Oh, those are all great things. The practice, you know, look what I wrote here. Be content. content. Yes. Practice, be content. Number one. Number two, be bold for God and for his kingdom, like Joshua and Caleb. Don't rush to judgment. So I had a bunch of practical applications here, i.e. the city of refuge, the two and a half tribes, um, their monument altar, and to work for peace and understanding. Mm. What was Very your promise? Good. If we're filled with faith, we'll eat the grapes. Oh, that's such a great one. Big giants, big grapes. If we're filled with faith, we'll eat the grapes. My promise was taken from the reading, Joshua chapter 21, 43 to 45. This is such a great passage. Listen to this. 
So Yahweh gave to Israel, so I'm going to just say it again, 21, beginning in verse 43. So Yahweh gave to Israel all the land of which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they took possession of it, and they dwelt in it. Yahweh gave them rest all around according to all that he had sworn to their fathers, and not a man of all their enemies stood against them. Yahweh delivered all their enemies into their hand. Not a word failed of any good thing which Yahweh had spoken to the house of Israel. All came to pass. Mm, love it. I mean, come on. It's basically saying, because the whole Bible is basically God making and keeping promises, mm -hmm. right? God makes a promise and he keeps a promise. And here Joshua was saying, you know what? God made that promise back to Abraham like centuries before, and mm -hmm. he did it. Mm -hmm. Everything that he said he was going to do, it didn't come exactly when they thought it would or how they thought it would, but he did it. Yeah. Because he was working in and around human folly and sometimes through human faith. I like it. Um, okay, so now we're to our word. Okay, and so, but I have an idea. What, 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 what? Uh, the OT would do a gratitude challenge. Yeah. So remember last year we had people post pictures of themselves and they used the DA with DA hashtag. Yep. If anyone wants to, you can post a picture of yourself and three things that you're grateful for. Oh, yeah. And use the OT with and DA use hashtag. The OT with DA hashtag. Yeah, do that. Do that. Gratitude challenge between now and tomorrow, and we will we'll take time tomorrow yeah. to look at them. Or, or you can post a picture of the thing that you're grateful for. Yeah. Take the gratitude challenge. Three things. Use the hashtag OT with DA. It's a fun way to meet if each other. If you're doing other. in the uh, uh, YouTube comments, just list your three things. We'd love to read them. We'll call out some of them tomorrow. Oh, good idea. Mm -hmm. Great idea, Liz. Okay, so now let's do our word. And okay. let's see. Um, Naomi says abide. Mm -hmm. Megan says she's thankful for the internet, for electricity, and a dry floor. Well, she's because she's in Australia where they've had the big flooding. Um, okay, here's our words. Trust, and say if you see your word. Trust, mm -hmm. inherit, abide. There's going to be a lot of abides. Mm -hmm. Content, says mm -hmm. Denise. Courageous. Inheritance. Another abide. Oh, Jim says refuge. Mm. Agree. Self-sufficient. Refuge, refuge. There's going to be a refuge. Whoa. Refuge, Gabby Abby. Well, look at all these refuge. Yeah. Cassandra says union. Word. Hey, that's my sister-in-law, Felicia. I love you, Hi, Felicia. Felicia. Inheritance. Are you grateful for Felicia? Very grateful. She's an amazing uh, sister-in-law. Um, union, refuge, mm -hmm. listen, misunderstandings. Humility. One. Oh, I know. I see what you did there, Reiner, and from the last paragraph. Oh, there's my word. Deborah White has my word. Unity. Unity. Yeah. These are all great words. Refuge, gay main, 44. We often have the same word. Um, unity. Reiner says unity. Grateful. Clarity. Abide. Hey, Stephen Hi, Farr. Stephen. Love you, brother. Delivered. He says fortress. Fortress. Yes. Wisdom. Have you seen your word yet? Nope. I thought your word might have maybe been content. Nope. Okay. Unity. Communication. Abide. A lot of abides. A lot of abides and a lot of refuges. Only one unit or two unities that I saw. Unity and union are the same. Ah, they're similar, Deb. By the way, I got your email, Deb, and I would absolutely love, absolutely love to have you, since you're only five hours away. But like I said, um, we'll have to do it when I do my next challenge because I'm leaving to go to Australia. So thank you for reaching out. Um, and you definitely can come on when we do our next challenge. We'd love to have you. Stay tuned. Stay tuned. Delivered, says Stefan. Property. Well, that's kind of a cool one. Hi, Joanne. Uh, someone said mine is grapes. 
Oh, is yours grapes? No, but I think that's funny. Entitled. Well, Karen went the other way. Ah. Filled, says Frank. Yeah. Deb says thanks. Oh, she's okay, saying thanks to yours? me. You already said. I already said it. My word is said. unity. You already, that's right. But can I tell you why my word is unity? Yes. You guys, are you ready for this? I think unity is the unifying theme of this whole chapter. And Un I have, Unity is good at unifying things. Listen, listen to this. I wrote down, I went back over the chapter with a fine-tooth comb because it really, it really uh, arrested my attention when Ellen White spends that last paragraph talking about unity. Yeah. And I was like, whoa, she went in hard on unity and she goes straight to the prayer of Jesus that they might be one. So I went back and read it through. I read this chapter four times. And when I read it the fourth time, I just looked for evidences of unity. Mm -hmm. And I found 10, mm -hmm. 10 of them. Are you ready for these? Yep. First of all, the chapter opens with the unity of the tribes against Israel, right? Remember, there was the league of the Canaanite tribes. They were unified against Israel. Mm -hmm. Now, amazingly, and a kind of a cool parallelism, the, the chapter ends with Israel being unified against Israel. The king, against the, the enemy, they, they're unified, mm -hmm. right? Because they get it all sorted out and, hey, we didn't build the altar. So number one was the League of Unity against Israel. Number two is the unity between Israel and God. He had fought for them and he had kept his promise. Mm -hmm. Number three was the unity in the dispersion of the Levite cities. There were 48 cities and they were distributed throughout, right? So it wasn't like one tribe got a bunch. No, they were distributed, which makes sense because the priests were also educators, mm -hmm. which by the way, we didn't make this point. This is such a great point. The reason that there was to be one place of sacrifice was so that you could have a uniform location for teaching the meaning of the sacrifice, because that's where the priests were. So everybody had to come there, and so people mm. couldn't get a misunderstanding of sacrifice, because if everybody has their own altar and their own way of doing things, then the yeah. education's not there. You have this consolidated, federalized location where when you came to bring your sacrifice, the priests are teaching and explaining mm -hmm. the meaning of the sacrifice. So the cities of uh, ref, the Levite cities, the 48 Levite cities were unified, distributed throughout, throughout the, um, the area. Number four, unity among the chief men of Judah regarding Caleb's request. We didn't dwell on this, but remember Caleb comes and he says, I want Hebron. And then she says, and it wasn't just Caleb that was asking, all the chief men of Judah agreed. Mm -hmm. They were unified and they said, no, Caleb deserves this. We don't want there to be any favoritism. We think that Caleb gets this. So there was unity there. Number five, the unity in the fairness of the land, it wasn't identical, but the distribution and division of the land was fair. And they were all in unity with regards yeah. to, except for Ephraim, they made their little complaint, but then Joshua in his wise leadership overcame it. Number six, they were unified in their distribution of the cities of refuge. There were three on the west side mm -hmm. and three on the east side of the River Jordan. Number seven, there was unity in the laws that they were all to follow regarding the cities of refuge, murder, manslaughter. It wasn't just every man for himself. They had to follow the rules, and they were mm -hmm. unified in those rules. Number eight, there had to be unity among the two to three witnesses in order for someone to be charged legally with murder. We didn't spend any time on this. Remember, it couldn't just be one witness that could raise a murder charge. It had to be two or three or more witnesses, and they had to be telling the same story. Mm -hmm. So there had to be unity there. Number nine, the unity of the two and a half tribes on the other side of Jordan, they built their monument altar so that they could be in unity with their brothers mm -hmm. and sisters on the other side. And then finally, um, my 10th one is, and I'll put all these in my notes tomorrow, there was union and familial love in the closing chapter, and she draws all of these threads together and says we should strive to be unified mm -hmm. and to de-escalate, to understand others. And so... Um, 
I thought it was really great. The chapter opens with unity and closes with unity. One is against the people of God by the Canaanite nations, and then the second is that the people of God are unified, even though there was the possibility of a major misunderstanding. Mm -hmm. So unity. That was a very unified and solid defense of your word choice. Well, not just a defense, but I just was like, I wonder what, because I was wondering, why did Ellen White land there? Yeah, interesting. And there's a lot of really good reasons to believe that this was the theme she was kind of, one of the themes she was driving at. Yeah. Which, your word was subdued. Nope. No, that was almost It starts my word. with the same letter that Elise starts with. So it starts with an E. Yeah. And your word is, what's the we next letter? We talked about it at the beginning. Oh, First we talked page. about it at the beginning. First page. God sent a message of? Encouragement. Yes, that's my word. Your word is, and you want to just walk us through it or just encouragement? I just think it's such a major theme throughout the Old Testament. And in this chapter. People are getting sad or afraid and God shows up and encourages. Says, don't be afraid. We've got and this. that's what he wants to do for us. Beautiful. Excellent. Well, we hope you enjoyed that lesson. I had a ton of fun. Elise will be with us tomorrow for one final time. Uh, don't forget the OT with DA gratitude challenge. Don't forget that. Use the hashtag. Short, short, short chapter tomorrow. Looks like it's like four pages, a little more than four pages, based on Joshua 23 and 24, the last words of Joshua. Remember, it will be at 2 p.m. Mountain Time. 2 p.m. Mountain Time. So if you can make the live, great. If you can't make the live and it's right in the middle of the day, we understand, but the video will be uploaded to YouTube within a few hours. We love you guys, and we will see you tomorrow. And I think I prayed. I always forget who prayed. I prayed. So I'll pray. Father in heaven, thank you for the OT with DA community, the OT with DA challenge, and we are thrilled about those that are following along live, keeping pace. But Father, we know that there are many, many, many more that are a little bit behind or who are going to do it in the future. Um, so we just want to pray for every person, whether those that are with us right now, tracking along, or those that will listen in the days, weeks, months, and years to come. Father, may we experience both unity with our other uh, fellow human beings and brothers and brothers and sisters in Christ, and may we be encouraged by your incredible love for us. You show up, you tell us not to be afraid, you say, you've got this, and I'm with you, and I'm going to keep my promises. And Father, we love the fact that you are a God that can be loved, can be worshipped, and can be trusted. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.